to 1 Samuel 26. And we started the book of 1 Samuel, if you remember. Um, we, I think, learned a lesson from Hannah. Do you guys remember her? A long time ago. And I think we learned lessons from Eli, what not to do as a parent or a priest. Uh, we learned lessons from Samuel as he grew up and gave his life to Christ. We learned lessons from Saul. Even though he had a good start, we really learned from him what not to do. And then we're going to learn from David. And even in David's life, he wasn't a perfect man. But, you know, if I, if I could say, we're going to go over a couple of things today about David that went up and down. You know, um, in one sense, as we're studying the Bible, I'm reminded of that passage where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as we're going through the Bible, I think that David can kind of say that as well. We're going to learn from his life certain things that uh, we need to put into practice. And that's the beauty of having these examples, you know, that we can learn from them the way that they lived it out. Not perfect men, but men whose hearts were for the Lord. Like it says in Acts 13.22, David was a man with a heart after God's own heart. And so I was thinking, just imagine, you guys, if all of us were like David, all of us here, it doesn't have to be just the pastors or the leaders or the overseers or those even involved in ministry from a technical aspect. Imagine if we were all like David. Imagine what God would begin to do in the church. And I think that really that's the calling, like David, like Jesus. And so let's learn from their life. Let's take these lessons to heart and today it's a pretty heavy lesson. You know, one of the verses that comes to mind is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You know, that's what David does in chapter 26, but it's not what David does in chapter 27. In chapter 26, he does something that seems a little weird. You're like, man, why would he even do this? Well, the reason he did it is because he was following the Lord. But then in chapter 27, he kind of stopped trusting. It's weird. You know, I don't know where you guys are at, but sometimes we know we're facing trials. And we're like, man, how long, Lord? How long? And for David, I think that's what happened. It was about seven, eight years into this trial. And he finally just said, you know what? I just can't, I can't do it anymore. How long? And just, I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've been waiting on the Lord a year, two years, three years, five years, maybe even seven years, remember that God's perfect timing is, is the best. And so you continue to wait on the Lord. We need to learn that lesson. Look what it says here in 1 Samuel 26. It says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakilah? opposite Jeshimon. And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziz, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now remember, David's on the run. The Ziphites are only mentioned three times in the Bible. Earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 24, they told uh, Saul the whereabouts of David. And then in Psalm 54, David writes about them, how they you know, uh, ratted on him and what his heart was going through. And then here again, they, they tell Saul the whereabouts of David, probably because they want to get something, right? And so Saul goes after David and he has uh, 3,000 
chosen men with him. And we read in verse 3 that Saul encamped in the hill of Achilah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. And David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. And so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. Imagine what life would be like if somebody wanted to kill you. Imagine that. You know, and this is not just somebody. This is the king. And he was a friend. It was somebody you loved at one time. It was somebody that supposedly loved you at one time. You were at one time his armor bearer. You at one time looked up to this individual. And now for the past six, seven years, they have been consumed with killing you. Well, that's where David was. You know, David had this, you know, trial in his life. And last time he met up with Saul, remember what had happened. Saul said, oh, I'm not going to come after you anymore. But that didn't last very long. As so Saul comes with his you know, soldiers. David sends a spy. Did Saul really come or was it just the soldiers? No, Saul came too. And so, you know, what would you do if that was you? I, I think for most of us here, we would probably, what? Run, right? I mean, that's the logical thing to do. But sometimes in life, it's deeper than just the logical thing to do. What David has in his place, in his heart right now, is just a total trust in the Lord. It's a total trust in the Lord. And it's so beautiful when you're living your life like that. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Even myself, I've got to share with you. You know, when I teach the word or when I'm going to do a Bible study or whatever it is, you're going to go out and do something for, you know, the chaplains or whatever it is. You know, you're, you're uh, part of you, you're, I don't know if it's your flesh or, or what, but part of you is just doubting a lot of times. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. You know, but then there are those times where God just gives you strength. God just gives you grace. God just gives you Faith. I mean, you just totally trust in the Lord. And there you are, and I don't know what your situation is. I know David was in a pretty crazy situation, but he just totally trusted in the Lord. My encouragement to you is to have that kind of faith. You know what? God's on the throne. God sees exactly what you're going through. God will lead you. God will guide you, sometimes in ways that that aren't really like the typical logical ways. That's why it's so important to have a personal relationship with God. That's why it's so important to make sure that you do everything you can. I don't care what you got to cut out of your life, but do everything you can to have an intimate, personal, devotional life with God to where you're connected with him, to where you hear his voice as he speaks to you through his word, as he, as he lays things on your heart. Because what happens is God lays things on your heart. You take steps of faith. And when you take steps of faith, God will honor that. God will do miracles. But you're not going to take a step of faith unless you're really hearing the voice of the Lord. And so what David does, instead of going, you know, running the other way, 
This time he goes towards Saul and uh, he comes to the camp. He sees Abner there, the commander of the army uh, there. They're laying within the camp and the people are all around Saul. And so we read in verse 6, And David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruai, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. David, dude, you're, you're crazy, man. You're cuckoo. The cheese just slid off your cracker, man. I mean, you know, first of all, David's coming. I mean, Saul's coming with 3,000 chosen men. So these are like the top-notch warriors in all of Israel. And you're going to the camp where he is. Not only that, here it is. Saul is in the middle of all these men. There's 3,000 men surrounding him. And so why in the world would you go to the camp? Why would you go down there? He says right there, who will go down with me to who? To Saul in the camp. Why would you do that? What would push anyone to do that? There's only one answer for that. There's only one answer for that. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It had to be the Lord because when we look at it with our eyes, it's just absolutely ludicrous. It's almost like Moses going to Pharaoh. What? Going to Pharaoh, Moses going to Pharaoh... And saying, let my people go. I mean, let, you know, go to the king of Egypt. I mean, he's going to kill you. It's crazy. But, but we know that the Lord had, had told him to do that. And I, and I just, you know, when I think of things like that, not to over-spiritualize it, but I just really, I think of the problems that I have in my life. And I think of the situations and, you know, whatever the scenarios are in your life. And I realize that it's probably not going to be, you know, always that typical thing. There's going to be steps of faith. There's going to be little elements of obedience, sometimes big, that God wants us to really be engaged in. I don't know what it is. You know, I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know what? See that television right there in your house? That television right there? I want you to sanctify that television for me and no one else. Because a television is neutral. It can be good or it can be bad. If you want to, you can watch all your basketball games on your football games, and you can watch all the things that whatever it is, in many, in many ways are a waste of time. That you can do that your whole life. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to sanctify it for the Lord. And from now on, I got this nice TV. I'm going to sanctify it for God. I'm going to use it for the Lord. I don't know what it is in your life. I know God's been speaking to me about certain things. But I just know that it may not be your typical Christian thing that Christians do nowadays. Because the typical Christian nowadays, in all reality, I think is probably pretty carnal. And that's why we have to go above and beyond. I know for, for, for David going down in the camp, all I know is this, that it had to be the Lord speaking to him. And, and for you, I mean, can it be anything less? Can it be anything less? It can't be. It's got to be the Lord speaking to us. And it's cool that David you know, wants someone to go with him. And this guy Abishai, who was actually his nephew, 
he says there in verse 6, I'll go, I'll go with you. I think that the craziness was in the blood, huh? <laughs> I'll go with you. Cool, I found somebody to go with me, right? And so we read in verse 7 that David and Abishai, they came to the people by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. And then Abishai said to David, Wow, man, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You know, when I when I read this right here, when as we go through the story, we're going to see some things about David that are just pretty amazing to me. You know, I see that as David has this opportunity, and and in and in many ways it would be so justifiable, so excusable to kill the king right here. Again, David's in tune with the Lord, which is really the only the only way. Either you're in tune with the Lord or you're not in tune with the Lord. David was in tune with the Lord and he knew, I can't do that. You know, because I was thinking about this and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but if somebody is trying to kill you, I mean, don't you kind of think it's okay to kill them? I mean, how do you guys feel about that? I don't know. I kind of feel that way, you know. And I know it's not always like that. We know, for example, Jim Elliott and the four guys that went down to the jungles of Ecuador, they, they knew that if they were trying to kill us, we're not going to try to kill them because we're saving. They're not. I know there are exceptions, but, you know, just the general rule is you step through that door, you're open game. man. I got my gun and I'm ready to shoot, man. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not aiming for your legs, you know. I, I mean, you know, I don't know. Typically... You know, we would think that it's okay for David or even, you know, Abishai wants to do it. Okay, I'll let him. Boom, real quick. Clean, cut, kill, done, trials over. No more running, no more fearing. This guy was wicked. So I'm just going to kill him right now. I mean, you know, when I read that, I just think, Lord, that, that seems to be, again, the typical thing that I think... Most of us would do, maybe not, you know, killing somebody, but, you know, certain things where we, you know, get even or where we take care of business. But David says, no, don't do it. Because who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and, and be guiltless? It's not that David honored Saul, but he honored the position that Saul held and the fact that God was the one who had put him there. Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 15 and 16, it says that the Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, and he said, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander of my people. And so we read later in 1 Samuel 9, 27, that they were going down to the outskirts of the city, and Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead. And he went on, he said, But you, Saul, stand right here, a while that I may announce to you the word of God. And then the Bible says that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and he kissed him. And he said, is this not because the Lord has anointed you 
commander over his inheritance? You see, David didn't forget that. I mean, things had changed, and yeah, you know, Saul was no longer the man that he was in the beginning, but, but God, God was the one who had anointed him as the leader of Israel. David didn't forget that fact and that how Saul had been anointed through Samuel. And so here's what he did. He just patiently, obediently, amazingly would not, could not stretch out his hand against the anointed of the Lord. He just couldn't. You know, he figured if God made him king, then God would be the one to bring this king and his kingdom to an end. That's something we read earlier in 1 Samuel 24, 4 through 7. Same thing. That was David's reasoning. You know, and in all reality, that was David's heart to the very end. If you read later in 2 Samuel chapter 1, when the Amalekite did actually kill King Saul because there was Saul in the battle. He was leaning on his spear, you know, and he probably couldn't have survived. And he said, you know what? Take away the pain. And so the Amalekite went over, killed him, took the crown to David. He thought everything would be cool. And David said, you're, you're guilty. It came out of your own mouth. You struck the Lord's anointed. And so what did he do? He told one of his young men, kill him. And he killed him. This was really in David's heart. You see, David, he says, I think a couple of things here are really important. Number one, he feared the Lord. And number two, he trusted the Lord. He feared the Lord. You know, if I kill him, I'm not going to be guiltless. And what's that going to do to me? It'll ruin me. It'll ruin my future. And, and i got to be honest with you guys, you know, there, there are times when you're tempted to sin and you, whatever the situation is, maybe, you know, you're having uh, some holy headlock with your wife or something or you're, your kids are riling you up, and they, they kind of know how to uh, push the right buttons. Do you want to know why? Because they're influenced by Satan. I'm just joking. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You know, there you are, and, um, uh, and, I, and this is what I think. But if I sin, I, I can mess everything up, Lord. I can mess up my calling in life, Lord. I mean, I could... I could you know, and you start thinking along those lines because you realize that God is real and God doesn't mess around. Because you read the book of Jeremiah, you read the book of Ezekiel, you've read the prophets, and you see that God is a holy God. And David said, you know what? I can't do that. And that's the heart that we have to have towards sin as well. Let that stop you in your tracks. Even though every ounce of your fiber of your flesh wants to justify it, God says, no, you're different. You're a David. You're a David. You're different than the typical Christian. You're a David. And so you're not going to do it. And so what does David do? He says, trust in the Lord. He says, man, I'm not going to take it into my own hands. And that's one of the things I've realized in life with my kids or with whatever the situation is. You can't do it. You think you can do it? You're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) Only the Lord can do it. Only the Lord can. So what does Saul say? David says, he says right there in verse 10, he said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, and that's like, as the Lord lives, that just means like this is real, this is true. The Lord shall strike him. His day shall come to die. He shall go out to battle and perish. 
The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. David says, I'm thoroughly convinced that Saul's day and mode of death will come at the hand of the Lord, so I don't need to lift my hand, not even a finger, against my enemy. Now, when you read the Psalms, one thing that's interesting that I got to tell you guys this, David did pray. He did pray, Lord, get him. Lord, take care of this. And maybe even too much so, like, Lord, break their teeth. I mean, those are imprecatory Psalms, right? And so, you know, we probably shouldn't pray like that because we have New Testament light. But David did pray for whatever it is that, you know, you're, you're struggling with, he was struggling with. But as far as doing those things, he said, oh, no, the Lord, the Lord is going to be the one that takes care of those things. He never came against Saul, who made himself an enemy of David. You guys, and we're to do the same thing. My encouragement to you tonight is to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says in Romans twelve nineteen. It says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, here's the part that I really am going to emphasize, where it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, are you there yet? Because if you're not there yet, where you're like, you know, you're trading blows. Well, they hit me, I hit them. They hate me, I hate them. They come against me, I'll come against them. But Christians are not to do that. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Now you're talking about real Christianity. Now you're talking about an individual with the name of David. And you know, and I know David wasn't a perfect man, and we might even see that tonight, depending on how far we get. But um, I do know this, that he was one of the heroes of the faith. That God used him in a tremendous way. And I wonder, you know, and I don't know where you guys are at tonight, but I, I, looking out and, and talking to a lot of you, I know that for some of you here, deep down in your heart, you want the Lord to use your life. You want him to. You want him to do a work in you. And you want him to do a work through you. Well, you've got to start paying attention to things like this. You know, David says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let the Lord take care of it. I'm not going to take revenge, which is the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. And God will test you on this. You know, where someone gets in your face... Are you going to get in their face? God says, okay, eh, failed that one. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to go through it again. You're going to go through it again until you realize that. And lately I've been reading, going through Peter, talking about how Jesus, even when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He says, to this you were called. And I read that. I was like, wait a minute, Lord. I was called you know, to be a Christian. And I was called to be a pastor. And God says, no, Manny. To this you were called, that when pre people treat you wrong or bad, that you love them, that you love them. 
Because that will make you different. And that's our calling in life, not revenge. There's a Jewish proverb that says the smallest revenge will poison the soul. There's another proverb that says he who seeks revenge digs two graves. And that's why Augustine would pray, Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. See, we've got to get past this. You know, apparently at this juncture in his life, the Lord had delivered David from roots of revenge and valleys of vengeance. And so David here, he tries to reason with Saul to prove his own innocence. He gets the jug, the jug that's right there by Saul's head. He gets his spear, and then he's, he goes in verse 12. David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke. Notice, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance between them. And David called out to the people. And he said to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. David and Abishai, they take the spear, the jug of water. They go over to the other side. They stand on top of the hill, far enough away, you know, to be safe, but close enough to be heard. And they call out to Abner and and David. It's interesting. You know, I don't know what you guys think about this, but, but, you know, David here, he wants to communicate two things. You know, you know, Abner, you know, you should die. You're responsible to protect the king. And look, we went in. We could have killed him. You're not doing your job. And I think right here when David was talking that his main objective was to communicate to the king that he didn't want to kill him. That was his main objective. But he was also disgusted at the failure of Abner to protect the king. And, you know, there he was, you know, just it just blows me away when I read that because it seemed to be sincere in David's heart. Saul, I really don't want you to die. Even though you want to kill me, even though you hate me, I really don't want you to die. I won't kill you. And as a matter of fact, I'm I'm pretty upset that this guy who's supposed to protect you is not doing his job. And I, and, I, and I think when you read this right here, I just think, you know what? It's real. It's real. And, and I don't know, you know, when you guys read that, I think, Lord, how can this be? How can a person love like this? And the Lord, he just really ministered to me and he said, it's pretty simple because <laughs> that's the way that I love people. That's the way that I love people. I don't want them to die. Even though they're my enemies in the sense that they 
are sinning against me. They blaspheme my name. Even though they're doing things, and we as Christians, we look at them and we think how wicked their conduct is. And I think a lot of us want them to die. God doesn't want them to die. And God is saying, that's my love. And, and God has somehow worked this love into, into David's heart. And when I read that right there, I just I get blown away. I even think this, you guys, and again, I'm probably reading into the text, man. But I think if only Saul would have trusted the Lord, if only he would have followed the Lord, Saul, then I think David would have been and could have been and should have been his right-hand man. Don't you think? I think that makes perfect sense. As a matter of fact, we read in 1 Samuel 16, 21, that David was his armor bearer at one time, you know? But, man, what, what ended up happening? What was it that ruined Saul? And what is it that ruined so many people? And for Saul, this so-called leader, the problem was as he was focused on himself and he was destroyed by the sin of jealousy. Right? Jealousy. Because David, you know, went on, got successful, and the lady sang the song, remember? <laughs> Saul's kills his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And all of a sudden, man, it just became a real competitive thing. You know, they say that you can tell more about a man playing ten minutes of basketball with him than walking with him for ten years. Some guys are pretty competitive, huh? Now, it's okay to be competitive when you're playing basketball. Don't get me wrong, okay? Just don't beat people up or foul them or any cheat or anything, you know? But, you know, don't be that way in the kingdom of God. Don't be that way. Jealousy is defined as that selfish desire accompanied by resentment, suspicion, or fear that another person is seeking to take away what you perceive to be yours. That's what jealousy is. And it reveals a, a, a self-centeredness, which is really the root of sin. And it's unloving and it's destructive. Self-centeredness manifesting itself in jealousy is what absolutely destroyed Saul, his communion with God, his calling from God, and that can destroy us as well. Galatians 5.20 identifies jealousy as a work of our fallen nature, our flesh, along with 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. If you're here today and you're a jealous person, you're upset when God uses somebody else, or whatever the case may be, you know, jealousy can manifest itself in many ways. You didn't get that promotion at work. You're jealous. That will destroy you. Just like it destroyed Saul. William Penn said, The jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. Unfortunately, there are many people who are jealous of someone's gift. And, you know, they feel threatened or someone's position. They can understand, why are they sitting in my seat, you know, or... You know, there you are, and you might get jealous over a friend who's getting too close to someone else, or you don't like the way your spouse is nice to that brother, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, shouldn't she be mean to him, you know, kind of like that, you know? And, and when we understand there is a godly jealousy, don't get me wrong, but here it is, listen to this. Godly jealousy is kind of like godly anger. See, you've got to be really godly to be angry and not sin. And you've got to be very godly to be jealous and not sin. Jealousy will ruin you. It'll destroy you like it did Saul. 
And then sometimes it comes to that place of fear, suspicion, torment, and total destruction. For Saul, man, he was up and down, thrown all around. Look what we read next in verse 17. It says, Then Saul knew David's voice, and he said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when hunts when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. See, Saul, he really struggled. He really went back and forth, mainly back, you know, but it was a real struggle. Don't you hate that? Do you guys ever do that? Do you guys ever go back and forth like 39 times every day? No, I'm just joking. You know, do you guys stop it? We got to stop that. We need to have that consistency. David there, he speaks to Saul. Saul's, oh, is that you, my son? Trying to kill you. Oh, is that you, my son? You know, I'm like, dude, come on. But there he is going back and forth, battling the flesh, acknowledging David even as his son. And what does David try to do? He tries to reason with him. He calls him Lord in verse 18. He calls him his servant in verse 18. He refers to himself as an insignificant flea in verse 20. He tries his best to reason with Saul. He says, man, this fear, this fight that you're engaged in is not only distracting you, but you're consumed with it. Saul, seriously search your heart. Is it the Lord or is it the lie? And you might even want to ask yourself that question tonight. What is it that's consuming you that's maybe even for some of you here driving you crazy is it the lord are you following the lord or is it the lie david says listen if it's the lord i'll give an offering i'll get my life right with the lord give me that opportunity but if it's these guys that are lying to you Listen, Saul, don't listen to the lies. Proverbs twenty nine twelve says, If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Don't pay attention to those lies. David asked, What evil have I done? If I violated God's commands and the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let me submit an offering to the Lord. Listen, I just want to be right. I want us to be right. I think that was David's heart, and that should be our heart as well. Is there anyone in your life that you are not right with. And there you are, and you're just blaming it totally on them. Well, maybe, you know, there is nothing you can do about it. Sometimes, you know, you try, you try, you try, and you just can't. But I think most of the time, we don't really try because we don't want to humble ourselves. David here, after everything that had gone on, he just says, man, I'm a flea. You're distracted. Don't come looking after me. I've done, done nothing wrong. Let's, let's get this right. And so Saul answers in verse 21. He says, listen, 
I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as you live, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son, David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. I like that. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. And, you know, I don't know, you know, when you read that right there, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you think Saul was having a good moment? And some of you here say, no, he's lying through his teeth, right? Most of you here will probably say that. Because later on, his fruits didn't reflect that. But I don't know. There are those moments. I think there are those moments when we're like, yes. Yes, Lord, I'm all yours. And you say it right there and then. And I think there is an element of, of sincerity. And there's something inside of you. It's deep down inside of you that just, that just wants to get right. I don't know if we can give Saul the benefit of the doubt right there. This is one of those rare moments that he's being open and honest, admitting that he'd played the fool, that he'd erred exceedingly, that he'd sinned, bringing God into the picture. He expressed words of repentance, which said, I will harm you no more. It sounded good. But here's the problem. It was only one moment of his life. You see, you guys, the victory happens when that moment becomes every moment of our life. And I'm telling you this, the Lord can do that. The Lord can do that. I mean, we're living in a time in the church in which the bar has been brought down so low and we are so worldly we are so trapped in this world that i think that you know we think that we're okay because you know you're not well at least i go to church you know at least i i read my bible every once in a while you know and i don't get high anymore drunk anymore and and then cool man i, I mean i'm proud of you man but I don't know. I, I know that that for a lot of people that God's calling you deeper. And that that moment where you're open and you're transparent and you're humble and you admit that you've sinned and you know that you shouldn't be doing that anymore. And you even express words of repentance. These are things that I start. I need to start doing, Lord. When that moment becomes every moment of your life. See, now, now you're talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do in your life. You do, do, you know what, do, you, do you know what kind of husband he wants to make you? Do you realize that? What kind of wife 
God wants to mold you into with his own hands? Do you realize as a single person how content you can be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you can wait on the Lord? And, and you know, I'm not saying that, you know, single people can eventually get married, you guys. Sometimes I think, hey, man, you guys are going to start moving. You know, I wonder sometimes, you know, but don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that that doesn't have to be your focus. You don't have to be bummed out and depressed about it. All I'm saying is that, man, this work that God wants to do is so amazing. It's so amazing. And when we have those moments in which God opens our eyes and we're open and we're honest and we're transparent and we're humble, man, don't lose that moment. You know, just just capture it. And then and then just make it, you know, your your life. You know, I, I got blessed with a, a couple of weeks of vacation and uh you know it was cool i got to do things around the house really really feel bad that it took so long you know i wanted to make my wife happy i really did that was my goal and to make god happy because you know what they say a happy wife is a happy life you guys know that right okay <laughs> but um you know uh it was also a time of just trying to draw near to god and trying to search my heart um we went to the Apple store the other day because uh, we were having problems with one of the iPhones. And so the lady said, well, every once in a while what you have to do is you have to restore it. You know, you have to, like, take it in and kind of, like, start over every once in a while. Because, you know, you start getting problems. People can't hear you. They think that you're an alien or something, right? And yeah, you got to restore it. And, and she said every once in a while you got to make sure you turn your phone off. And the Lord was just speaking to me, and I know, you know, it's weird. He speaks to you through iPhone illustrations. Yeah, he does. And he just says, you know what? I want to do something new in your life. I want to restore you. And, and so you got to, like, kind of, like, I don't know, just dig really, really deep. And in one sense, like, ask God for a new beginning. Because the moments like these... They need to be, they need to come to that place where they're just like all the moments of our life. And so Saul says, okay, David, this is what's going to happen. But we know what ended up happening, right? He still goes after him. We're going to see next week. The only reason that Saul ever stopped, you know, chasing David is because David went to the Philistines. But what had happened, you guys, is that David here reasons, but Saul finds himself in that place where he's just not reasonable. And I just think it's so cool in studying David's life today. We're going to see next week that he he went down. (laughs) And so, you know, there's no perfect man, but I'll tell you what, chapter 26, he does a very good job of giving us an example, giving us an illustration of what it means and whatever the situation is in your life, to where you really trust God. Really trust God. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to study so much here, Lord, in chapter 26. And, Father, I I pray, Lord, for all these things that we deal with, our self-centeredness, jealousies that can manifest themselves, 
in our life that will destroy not anyone else but but ourselves. Father, I pray that we would learn, you know, from the bad example of Saul, who only had moments. I pray that we would learn from the good example of David, who was like you. He just loved unconditionally. And so, Father, I pray that you work in all of our hearts here tonight and just refresh your your church. Let them know, uh, Lord, let me know, that God, you are able. You're you're able. You're you're able to do anything. You can get us a building if you want. That's nothing. But even bigger than that, you can change us. You can radically change us to to be people who really are like Jesus, who really are on fire for the kingdom of God. That's my prayer for the church, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who who doesn't know you, they're not a Christian, maybe they've slipped away, but they need to come back. I pray that today would be the day that they give their life to Christ. And just real quick, you guys, I don't know, but I just want to close the evening by giving that opportunity. If you're here today and and you're not you're not really a Christian, or maybe you've drifted away, but you need to come back to the Lord and, you know, something the Holy Spirit would do, only He can do. You want to get right with God today. Then right where you're at, I just would like you to stand to your feet and I want to pray for you.